Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Two weeks ago, we looked at James, the letter of James, describing how the word that God brings to us is like a mirror. It shows us things about ourselves that we were not previously aware of, but which is what mirrors do. So today, as I read this scripture, this next portion of James out loud, I can find a reflection of myself. If I look at this scripture like a mirror, I can find a reflection of myself in every single character that James describes. And so I invite you to listen in a similar way. Uh, Don't just listen for how I'm finding myself, but listen for how you can find yourself in every character. So here it is, James chapter 2. James writes, My dear brothers and sisters, how can y'all claim to have faith, the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if y'all favor some people over others, showing prejudice and bias? For example, suppose someone comes into y'all's meeting dressed in fancy clothes and wearing a gold ring, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in filthy old smelly clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there, or else go sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that y'all's judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But y'all dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppose y'all and drag y'all into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name y'all bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if y'all show prejudice and favoritism, y'all are committing a sin. Y'all are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that gives freedom. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful... God will be merciful when he judges you. Mercy triumphs 
over judgment. To James, there's no substitute for loving your neighbor as yourself. This, he says, is the royal law of King Jesus. He says that faith and prejudice are incompatible with one another because prejudice and bias are sin. Favoritism and discrimination are sin. And you can't tell yourself you're living with the faith of Jesus if you're participating in prejudice, bias, discrimination. To tell yourself that your prejudice is okay because you know, you're a Christian and you're doing good in a bunch of other ways, to tell yourself that story is like a hitman telling himself he's not doing anything wrong murdering others because he's faithful in his marriage. Like, that's what James is saying. He's, he's saying there's an inconsistency there. Now, this scripture we just read comes from a time and a culture long ago, very distant from today. And so I just asked you to treat it as a mirror, but you could look into that mirror and be like, man, it, it feels like looking into a mirror that only shows me a black and white reflection, like there's no color in it. So let me add some color to the picture. Let me add some texture to the picture by just giving you some uh, simple cultural and historic tidbits that will kind of color the picture in that we just read. So James was describing a social setting that everyone knew well, where someone holds a banquet or a gathering, and it always meant a meal. And here's how it worked. You enter the house, and you receive a kiss of greeting, and then everyone kind of scrambles for a seat at the triclinium, which is this kind of fancy U-shaped couch where people eat and lounge. And sometimes the host would tell people where to sit. Other times people would just try to grab the best seat. But the best seat was the seat of honor. And it actually didn't have anything to do with like, oh, it's the most comfortable. It's that it was at the center of the triclinium. And in, in a community where honor and shame determined everything, you wanted the seat of the most honor. And so where you sat determined your status in the community and how much money you made or could make, and your role in the religious community, and what kind of education your kids would get, and would you be able to keep the land that you owned, or were you going to lose it? Would people buy what you were selling? Where can you live? Who will your kids be able to marry? Family reputation. Where you sat, your honor determined all this kind of stuff. Now, people who didn't get a seat at the triclinium at all, maybe they hadn't even been invited to the banquet or to the gathering, they were sometimes still allowed to sit or stand against the wall if there was room. They wouldn't be fed. They weren't allowed to be a part of the conversation, but they could be there to listen and to observe. And they were in the place of shame. So to tell someone to stand against the wall or to sit on the floor... It sent a message of shame and scorn and degradation. 
it put that person in a position of submission. Like, we're going to hold you down and away from the community, never to rise. So that's that paints one color in this picture. Uh, another color, if we're just trying to get a sense of what's going on in this drama that James is depicting. Uh, of course, there's a rich person there at the banquet. And to call someone rich in the first century wasn't just a statement about how much money they had. It was a statement about their morality because it meant they had the power to take something that rightfully belonged to others. Taking something from the weak that rightfully belonged to the weak. To be rich meant that you were a hoarder and not in the sense that we hear that word. Uh, the rich were those who owned the land that had been taken from the poor, much of it within the past century. And James' audience would have understood a rich person as a crook because it was a world of limited goods where if someone was hoarding or exploiting, if like if they were taking a really, really big slice of the pie, it automatically meant that other people were going to get a really tiny slice or no slice at all. And so hoarding meant someone else was going without basic necessities. So that colors in a picture of, like, who is this rich person who James says, like, he's exploiting you. Uh, that, that colors in one piece of that. Now, the gold ring and the fancy clothing that James describes, in the Roman Empire, it often depicted a senator. Uh, or a politician, or a nobleman, or a muckety-muck, businessman, or a mayor. So James is likely describing someone here with the power to pull strings for or against this gathering of Jesus followers. And so that's that's why you see people kind of uh, trying to butter this character up and flatter this character is because they know this character has some power. Roman law favored the rich, and rich people were able to initiate lawsuits against people of a lower class, but it didn't work in the opposite direction. So a social inferior, someone from a lower class, was not allowed to bring a lawsuit against a rich person, against someone of a higher class. But Roman laws gave harsher penalties to people of a lower class than people of a higher class when they committed the exact same crimes. Now, to add another color to the picture, the final color we're going to add here is the color of faith. And this is just a reminder. Uh, you've, you've heard us talk about this before, probably. Bible scholar Nijay Gupta points this out. Uh, this, this word faith. In the ancient world, is the Greek word pistis, in the ancient world, if you just ask the average person on the street, what does faith mean? 99% of them would say, well, it's a willingness to bind yourself to a person or a group. They'd say, it's like the you can count on me factor. It's loyalty and allegiance and reliability and social concord. It's a relationship word. It, it wasn't like, well, what do you believe individually? Because James 
as he's writing, he's not seeing the teachings of Jesus as something to be lived out individually or as a personal choice. He sees this as a communal identity, which is why out of 108 verses, James uses y'all language nearly 80 different times. It's plural language, y'all. So I'm not just Southern. When I'm reading that scripture, I'm trying to help you see how much James sees this sense of faith as a communal identity. So James isn't only looking at the host in this drama who's telling everyone where to sit. He's looking at everyone in the room who's putting up with the way that the host is treating these people, both the poor smelly person who's being shamed and the rich person who's being flattered. All, everyone in the room is complicit to this prejudice. They're looking the other way. They're letting it go. And remember, for James, faith and discrimination, prejudice are incompatible. So with those colors painted in, maybe the picture looks a little more vivid. So let me show you how I find myself in every character in the scripture. And just invite you to continue looking at this scripture, maybe thinking, well, how do I find myself? How do you find yourself? So I have been, and I am, the rich man dressed in fancy clothing. I am someone who is advantaged by the laws of the land I live in. My skin color, my gender play in my favor. I'm a white male. And just as the rich people in ancient Rome received much more gentle sentences for criminal offenses than the socially inferior, I recognize, like, you don't have to do many Google searches. I could tell you where to find this information, but even an easy Google search, it's not hard to figure out that I live in a land where even though the justice system claims to be objective, the actual data reveals unconscious bias and implicit bias. Just like Rome, ancient Rome, today, the criminal sentences for black people are shown to be much harsher, especially black men, than for white people who commit the exact same offenses. So I live in a world that is similar in this way to ancient Rome, and I am advantaged. I've grown up with opportunities that are available to me that many people in the land around me never had available to them. Uh, it, it, with my education, with being able to buy a house, I, I live in a land where people of my skin color earn 40% higher incomes and have 90% higher household wealth like than black people. White people have 40% higher income, 90% higher household wealth. I was able to afford my first down payment, buy my first home because of the generations before me that were able to accumulate wealth and they helped me to be able to get a down payment on a house because they weren't impacted by our own systems today of systematism and prejudice, redlining, taking property away. Just as the poor in James' day had their land taken away from them, their history was that it had been taken roughly 100 years earlier 
I recognize I am the rich man in this. I can, I can find my reflection in the rich man in this story. I am the person, a person, who lives on land that was forcefully taken by unratified treaties from the Tillamook tribe of First Nations people roughly 160 years ago. I eat food that was likely picked and processed by immigrants who in many cases are underpaid and taken advantage of. So those are some ways that I can find my reflection in the rich man. But I can find myself in all of the characters here. I can find myself in the poor man. There are a hundred different versions of this poor person in this drama that James depicts. I know what it's like to wear hand-me-downs to school every day. I've been the person who was embarrassed of the clothes I owned and didn't have enough money to do any better. I know what it's like to grow up eating outdated food that we would regularly pick up from the grocery store's back delivery bay near the dumpster. We did that, like, year after year. I know what it's like to get made fun of and be rejected because... You're wearing shoes from Walmart or Payless instead of Nikes from Foot Locker. I've lived that. I know what it is to want to be accepted and want to be liked, but instead to get bullied on the bus and treated as less than on the sports team and in the locker room and on the sports field. I know what it's like to get slapped in the back of the head over and over and be called names and have your clothes flushed down the toilet. I've lived those experiences. I know what it's like to be shamed to the point that you feel very timid and uncertain of yourself. I know what it's like to deeply wish I could be one of the guys, one of the cool kids, and be accepted and fit in, but instead be the scapegoat who's singled out and becomes the object of ridicule that everyone can laugh at in order to relieve other people's social anxiety. I know what it feels like to be ignored and excluded and not invited and feel unworthy and unwanted. And so when I read this drama that James depicts of this poor person getting told to go sit against the wall, I can feel that pain deep in my bones. Like, I've been there. I can see my reflection in the poor person. Am I liked? Am I wanted? Am I worthy? I can find my reflection in the host of the meal, the one who's telling everyone where to sit. Now, we can all do this. I can easily tell myself that I'm objective, I'm unbiased, and the neurology makes it clear that, well, it's not so true. Long before your brain has turned on its processing center and begun to reason, before you know anything about someone, you already feel emotions about that person. So someone comes in the door to my banquet and or my gathering, and I'm already feeling emotions about them. Maybe fear, disgust, whatever it might be. The reasoning center of my brain is then trying to catch up, which often means we have to try to supply reasons to justify how we feel about people. We, we are trying to justify how we feel. So I've been the person who everyone's coming in and I want the approval of the most popular one who's coming in, the most powerful person in the room. And 
So I've tried to butter that person up and make them like me. I've flattered that person. I've tried to play to their ego. And I've been the person who excluded others before. I Maybe, I, maybe it's just that I like some people a whole lot more than other people. And so I've gone ahead and like I'm hanging out with my friends. Someone else comes along who wants to find acceptance, wants to find a place to fit in. And sometimes, as I look back on my life, sometimes I just wanted to tell that new person, basically, bug off. Go stand against the wall. Just go shut up. And I might have even been tempted to make a joke at their expense. Maybe it was their personality. They were a know-it-all or a conversation hog or overly needy or overly competitive or I viewed them as a threat. But for whatever reason, I became the person who subtly or not so subtly ignored them or changed the location of the gathering to some new secret place so they wouldn't bother us. I have been the person who liked some people a whole lot more than others, and then I treated everyone accordingly. You sit there in the place of honor, and you sit over there against the wall. I've been that person. I can find myself in that picture. I can see my reflection in the guests, the people who have come to the gathering and they don't stand up for the poor person. They allow the rich person to be honored and they allow the poor person to be discriminated against and scorned and ignored and degraded and shamed. I I can find myself in that picture. I have allowed other people to make sexist, racist, degrading comments. And sometimes I've sat by, I've said nothing. It's like, oh, I didn't hear that. I didn't see that. I'm not going to say anything. Because after all, their comments weren't about me. And so I've been the person who I didn't face my own fear, my own implicit bias, my own prejudice. I've not always worked to counteract my own bias by getting to know people vastly different from me, reading perspectives that are different than my own, listening to people who come from a different background, trying to work to understand. Psychology shows us that what we are raised with will likely feel like it's just obviously true to us. It's called confirmation bias. And so if we're going to run with that, we'll, we'll just run all the way. And It shows us that most people refuse to entertain thoughts that undermine their income, their job. So if I'm benefiting from a a system, a situation that works for me, I'm probably not going to entertain thoughts that would run in the other direction. So I've known in certain scenarios that if I stand up for someone who's being scapegoated, being treated as other, I will become a target. And so sometimes I've kept my mouth closed. I have at times turned a blind eye to people who were being discriminated against and excluded. And I told myself, well, I'm only responsible for me. I'm I'm not the one shaming that person and I can't be the one to fix everything. And so I just kind of turn a blind eye. And yeah, sometimes I've been the person to leave the party and go be with the poor person who got excluded. I, I I've done that. But if I look at my whole life, I've also been the person who just sat there. I just laughed at the rich person's jokes, and I never asked 
why did the poor person get sent away? Or why weren't they invited at all? To James, there is no substitute for loving your neighbor as yourself. And everyone is your neighbor. This is the royal law of King Jesus. You cannot tell yourself that you are living with the faith of Jesus with the you can count on me factor if you are participating in prejudice, bias, discrimination. Faith and prejudice are incompatible. Prejudice, bias, favoritism, discrimination are sin. So with that said, I want to invite you to look into the mirror of this scripture again yourself, for yourself. Try to find your own reflection in the text. In what way have you been each of these characters in this drama? Be willing to look into that mirror and open yourself to the Spirit, showing you things about yourself you haven't been aware of. Bias, prejudice, favoritism, discrimination, simply liking some people more than others, and then how that has played out. The subtle ways that you may have participated in causing someone else to feel unwanted, unloved, unlovable, disliked, unworthy. And listen to the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to open your imagination up. What might it look like to live out the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. What is the Spirit calling you to do? Who are you called to get to know? Who are you called to listen, to understand? What perspective are you called to read in order to face your bias, your prejudice that we all have? How are you called to grow as a person of true faith? So here's the scripture. Listen again. My dear brothers and sisters, how can y'all claim to have faith the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if y'all favor some people over others, showing prejudice and bias. For example, someone suppose someone comes into y'all's meeting dressed in fancy clothes and wearing a gold ring and another comes in who is poor and dressed in filthy old smelly clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, But you say to the poor one, you go stand over there. Go sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that y'all's judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But y'all dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress y'all and drag y'all into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name y'all bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if y'all show prejudice and favoritism, y'all are committing a sin. Y'all are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, must not commit adultery, also said, 
you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the, the law. So, whatever you say, whatever you do, remember you will be judged by the law that gives freedom. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Take a moment silently and look in that mirror. How do you see your reflection in these various characters in this drama? What vision is Jesus giving you of how you are to treat the the poor people who you encounter in your life and what new desires might the Spirit be inviting you to set your heart on? Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.